a very warm welcome to you wherever you are from St Michael's Lillishaw and St John's Muxton with two churches on the northeastern side of Telford in Shropshire in the UK. My name is Matthew and I'm the vicar and it's my pleasure to lead you through this next half an hour or so. During the half hour we will have readings, a talk and uh, some prayers and we pray this morning that as we listen wherever we are that we may feel connected to our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit would fill the rooms where we sit or stand and listen and would fill us. So Heavenly Father, pour out your Spirit on us today, wherever we are, as we listen to your word and we hear it explained to us. May we be filled with a renewed sense of love for you and a desire to offer our lives in your service. Amen. If you've been listening to us recently, you'll know that we're following a series through the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament of the Bible. And so we're going to hear two readings, one of which is from the book of Proverbs and another which helps us to put it in the context of the whole Bible. So here they are and Colette's going to read them. Proverb 24, 30-34 I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. John 15, verses 4 to 8. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. this week's talk in a moment but before I do let's pray heavenly father open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word and may we hide your word in our hearts amen we are continuing our series looking at proverbs and today's passage is taken from chapter 24 focusing on the verses 30 to 34 and I'm using the ESV bible version 
It's amazing how lovely our gardens are looking at this time of the year, when many flowers come out in full bloom. And the wonder of God's glorious creations, well, they literally can take our breath away. Before we continue, please listen to this. I wonder if you remember this song, made famous by Jimmy Rogers. It continues. How many kinds of sweet flowers grow in an English country garden? How many sweet flowers grow in an English country garden? It continues, I'll tell you now of some I know. Those I miss, I hope you'll pardon. Daffodils, hearties and flocks. Meadowsweet and lily stalks. Gentian, lupin, hollyhocks. Roses, snowdrops and forget-me-nots. In an English country garden. I wonder if the author of that song gave some thought about the hard work of the gardeners without whom things would look so very different. As you know, it takes a great deal more than sunshine, soft, refreshing rain and a packet of miracle Grow to get one's garden looking its best. Now, flowers were not always the top sellers at Dobby's. Well, certainly not in Israel 3,000 years ago. Vines were the things to buy. And those of us that have visited the south-facing hills on the banks of the Rhine in summer will have seen how attractive and well-cared vineyards can look, especially when the branches are heavy with large ripe bunches of grapes. In Proverbs 24, Solomon writes in verse 30 that he passed by not an English garden, but an Israeli one, an allotment, a field, a very fertile field with good soil, judging by the abundance of thorns and nettles that had taken over. Oh, the sad waste of precious resource. It was a field that could have been a good vineyard, a pleasant and productive bit of land that should have been an abundant and lasting source of rich and regular harvests. And its perimeter wall, meant to safeguard the precious crops, keeping intruders and wild animals out, was broken down and unequally cared for. To the wise and industrious Solomon, under whose leadership Israel reached its zenith of prosperity, this image of dereliction made a profound impression. We might have similar feelings of sad waste when we see a once fine house being systematically neglected and falling into disrepair and gradual ruin. What do we know about this fellow in the uncared-for vineyard. First thing we might notice is that the field belonged to him. It says he was an owner-occupier, probably left to him by his forebears and by his father, an inheritance to carry on the family business. We don't know his name, but Solomon calls him a sluggard. Sluggard meaning a lazy and sluggish person, given to habitual idleness, his policy is manana, manana. I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. But it's a tomorrow that never comes. The sluggard gets quite a lot of attention in Proverbs. He is mentioned at least 14 times. 
In chapter 6 he's asked, How long will you lie there? When will you get up? Go and see the ant. Consider her ways and become wise. In chapter 19, the sluggard is described as one who takes a bit of food in his fingers, but won't lift the morsel out of the dish to his mouth. He won't even feed himself. Why? Another feature of laziness? Surely not in this case. He foolishly thinks he doesn't need to eat it. It's a kind of display of anorexia. In chapter 22, he won't leave his house to do anything. I'm not going out, he says. There may be a lion in the street which will kill me. He won't even go out to do the shopping. In chapter 26, he loves to stay in bed, turning back and forth, left and right, like a door swinging on its hinges. And finally, Solomon writes, he is wise in his own eyes. I'm okay, thank you. Does he not realise that a day of poverty will come upon him suddenly and unexpectedly as a robber or an armed man, says Solomon in verse 35, 34, whom he would not be able to resist? And when it came, abject poverty, it was a serious and calamitous situation in Israel at a time where there was no social care or universal credit to tide one over, Solomon calls him a senseless man. Though he'd managed on scrap so far, we guess, it had always been sufficient, just enough, and he, managed, he, and he imagined it would always be so and nothing would ever change. There was no need at all for self-discipline or exertion. Therefore sleep and frequent rest came easily. But his folly was that there was no real thought for the future, no provisions and reserves for the day of testing and of want. And when it came, which Solomon seemed quite sure it would, Great would be his fall. Now it's easy to point the finger, but I have to confess there has been far too much manana in my life. Why I am well practised at putting things off for another time, which I am not proud of. This may be true for many of us. How much more could we achieve if focused, attentive and diligent in all that we should be doing. It's a lesson that our parents and teachers would have tried to drum into us because they wanted us to achieve. And to be sure, we want our children to go down that path of health, wealth and prosperity. We long for them to do well, don't we? To reach their full potential 
to use a commonly used expression. Nothing wrong in working hard and achieving success. There is great satisfaction in a job well done. No one like the sluggard can find true contentment in a life of total idleness and ease, with no forethought about the future. And I think there is the lesson. But now we need to look a little deeper. For these proverbs of Solomon's, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have a far deeper and more urgent thing to say to us. I believe that we've all been given personal little fields or gardens, which we are obliged to attend, to tend. Fields or allotments with plants and bushes that must, under our care, blossom and flourish. Now, I'm not speaking about the patches of land at the front or back of our houses. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 5 speaks about a vineyard in Israel. He says that this vineyard was not a piece of land, but the house of Israel. The people are likened to the trees and bushes that grow there. The Lord looked upon it to produce a good harvest, good fruit. The fruit that only comes by living close to the Lord. The fruit of a growing faith. The fruit of a lively hope. The fruit of love, joy and obedience of the, to the Lord. But Isaiah said it only yielded sour grapes. Bitter grapes of evil deeds, of sin and of rebellion. On account of this his judgment fell upon them. In time the Assyrian army came. Came to conquer. And just like the sluggers faced fate when the robber came, nothing could stop them. They destroyed that garden, that is to say the people, and they did it completely. The same theme, this metaphor, is taken up in the New Testament in Matthew 21. Once again the vineyard, says Jesus, is Israel herself, God's special people. He compares them to their ancestors in Israel's day who had rejected God. And now if they rejected his son, that is himself, a similar fate would fall upon them, which it did. Now in like manner Jesus today looks upon us as his vine trees in our gardens and he expects us to be productive. He looks at our lives and our hearts with that same analytical gaze of Solomon when he spotted that sluggard's derelict field. What does he see? Are we found wanting? Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. Examine the gardens in our hearts. What do we see? Do we notice any thistles and nettles that should no longer be there? Is my allotment strewn with rocks and boulders? And what about that garden wall? Garden wall? What garden wall is that? Why, that wall of Christian standards that we may once have been taught by godly parents or Sunday school teachers or by example. That barrier of the God's commandments once learned that should be keeping us from worldly temptations. That stone structure of biblical truths that we know that should that we know that should protect us from heresies, despondency. Does it need shoring up? Have we been like the sluggard, folding our arms and forever resting, being wise in our own eyes, saying, all is well, nothing will change, 
Oh, we've lived a pretty good life. And there are many gardens I know that are a lot worse than mine. Do we not realise that there will soon come a day of accounting, when the Lord will suddenly return like a robber in the night? Then will he see our branches laden with good fruit? Or not so? Have we been slumbering far too long? Paul tells us in Thessalonians, Let us not sleep as others do, but keep awake. Jesus said similar in Matthew 24, Stay awake, for you do not know when I am coming. He wants us to remain alert, awake to our spiritual needs. What can we do to get our gardens or fields right before the Redeemer returns? In Ephesians 5, Paul tells us this, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He continues, Make best use of time. Well, let me repeat that now. He's saying, Understand what the will of the Lord is, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here is the answer. What is his will? His will is that we should become fruitful. Well, let me put it in another way. To become ever more like Jesus. To become like him. To have his character. How do we do that? What's needed? We need to be filled with his presence. We need him in our hearts. We need to practice his presence. All of the time. This is the first of the gardening work that our hearts and our characters and our souls need to blossom and flourish. The Lord Jesus says, listen, I am the vine, the main trunk of the tree, that's me. You're only the branches. You need to be grafted onto me and attentively remain so, for you cannot get anywhere without me, without my presence in your lives. You can't go it alone. Well, what do we need to do? Two things I think we need to acknowledge and secondly we need to turn. Firstly, acknowledgement. Too many weeds, very few fruits, a sluggard's field. Have we often folded our arms? Oh, not in idleness, no, but maybe in preoccupations. Don't we find it so much easier to be busy with other things? Work, hobbies, house, holidays, and even, dare I say it, gardening, instead of attending to the desperate need of our souls. I've got to confess at this point, I do. Acknowledgement. Secondly, we need to turn to the Saviour for his pardon. And then ask and ask and ask again for God's Holy Spirit to enter our souls afresh. Not once, not twice, but every day. Plead for his life-giving, fruit-producing presence in the gardens of our hearts. Will he do it? Yes, he will do it. For this he has promised, because it's his will, it's his purpose for us, that we might know him personally and his superlative worth that we might experience him here inside and hear him speaking to us ever more clearly, more and more, as we become like Jesus 
and so rejoice to love him with heart, soul, mind and strength. Not because we've got to, not because we have to, but because we want to. Because he's worth it and we know it. Like our normal garden, our relationship with him must be active. It requires daily commitment. Let's encourage each other to spend quiet times with him. Hearing his word, trusting his promises, obeying his commands, rooting out those horrid weeds of self, jealousy, greed, anger, falsehood, sin, and then watering and nurturing his tender roots, his tender shoots, sorry, of goodness, love, kindness, patience, generosity, and so forth. That he the real gardener, the head gardener, intends to bring out in us with our collaboration. Those changes in us will be to his glory. You see, Jesus is the true vine. He will have brought it about and will prove at the end that we really are of his family. How can I summarise this briefly? We are given an account of the sluggard His vineyard is derelict. It has no wall. There is no fruit. There are no reserves. He has no forethought about the future. He is a fool. Wise in his own eyes. Why, he does not even eat enough to build himself up. And so is completely unprepared for judgment of want when it will surely come. But we too have our gardens, our fields. They are spiritual ones that we need to attend. Our walls are those of biblical truth and godly habits which need building up to protect us. Unlike the sluggard, we must also fight against spiritual anorexia. We need to feed ourselves up with scripture. Our own testing will surely come, and our time is limited. So let's get those sins weeded as we draw near to Jesus. Let's get grafted onto him now and every day in order that our fruits our good fruits of becoming like him will grow and grow. Let's not be like the sluggard. So open away, dear friends. Those gardens of ours are waiting. In a moment we'll come to a time of prayer, but before we do that, let's have some space to open our lives before God and to admit our failings and our weakness and seek his forgiveness and his transforming love. The grace of God has dawned upon the world with healing for all. 
let us come to him in sorrow for our sins, seeking healing and salvation. Christ came in humility to share our lives. Forgive our pride. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ came with good news for all people. Forgive our silence. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ came in love to a world of suffering. Forgive our self-centeredness. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And now let's hear God's forgiveness proclaimed over us. May Almighty God, who sent his Son into the world to save sinners, bring us his pardon and peace, now and forever. Amen. We're going to turn to prayer now, and I'm going to hand over to Joe to lead us. Today, a response after each prayer, when I say, Father, as we live our lives each day, would you join in with help us to abide in you. Father, as we live our lives each day, help us to abide in you. Father, thank you for the good gift of your word to us. Thank you for the wisdom it holds for us when we seek it out. As we reflect on the readings and on Heiko's words to us, help us to hear the still, small voice of your Holy Spirit calling us to open our hearts to you. May we wake up to the thorns and broken-down walls in our own lives and turn to you for help in uprooting and rebuilding. Although we cannot meet together, Inspire us to support and encourage each other to stay rooted in Jesus, the vine. Father, as we live our lives each day, help us to abide in you. Lord, we pray for our nation. We ask for wisdom for our leaders as they wrestle with difficult decisions. Open their eyes to see the suffering and hardship in our society, particularly among the poor and vulnerable. Open their ears to hear the good counsel, wherever it comes from. Open their hearts to compassion, that they would seek the common good. And we recognise the role that each one of us has to play in this, however small. May we seek to reflect your character as we pursue love, justice and righteousness in all our relationships. Father, as we live our lives each day, help us to abide in you. Following the death of George Floyd, we come to you in great sorrow for the racism which is still a part of our world. We acknowledge our own prejudices, of whatever kind, towards those who are different from us. We ask for your forgiveness for our individual thoughts, feelings and behaviours And we repent of those thoughts, feelings and behaviours in our nation, both now and in the past. We pray that as individuals, as a nation, as a world, we would turn from prejudice and make any changes necessary to demonstrate that all lives matter. Black, white, young, old, rich, poor, male, female, all are precious in your sight. Father, as we live our lives each day, help us to abide in you. Finally, we pray for the friends and family of Di Bufton, whose funeral was last week. 
May they know your presence, your peace and your comfort. And in a moment of quiet we lift to you those known to us who are in particular need. Father, as we live our lives each day, help us to abide in you. And now would you join with me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Many thanks today to Sam Clark for his guitar playing. You may have heard this week that from Monday the 15th of June, churches are going to be able to be open for private prayer. Not every church will open on this day and we will be making decisions about how we can do this safely in the near future and we will keep you posted. Please keep reading your emails and looking at the notices for further details. Once again a huge thank you to all of you who've continued to give generously during this time when we've been unable to gather to worship in church. So this is a final prayer which gives thanks for those offerings and also is a prayer of blessing. God of truth, help us to keep your law of love and to walk in ways of wisdom that we might find true life. We thank you for all the gifts that have been given through our bank accounts and the offering of our lives. Help us to continue to be generous givers of our money, our time and our lives, that we might make a difference in this place and beyond. We ask this through your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave all that he was, that we might know life in all its fullness. And so may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us and with those we love, now and always. Amen. Amen.